Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. I want to big, uh, give a big shout out uh, to our friends of the podcast. We've got the Vegas Squares podcast down in Vegas. Sports talk by sports fans. Check them out if you're into sports. They cover the entire gamut of sports, college, professional, you name it. They cover it. Uh, we've also got, uh, what do we have here? We've got uh, Skin Dimensions, Tattoo and Piercing here in Winnipeg, located on Corden Avenue, uh, right beside Bar Italia. Uh, please visit them for any piercing and tattooing needs you might have. We've also got uh, Zero Gravity Games down in Fayetteville, Georgia. Please visit them for any used, rare, and vintage gaming needs you might have. Last but not least, we've got Selfix Doctors located here in Winnipeg at 666 St. James Street. Please visit them for any cell phone, tablet, and screen repair needs you might have. And, of course, the biggest shout-out and thank you is to all of you for the continuing and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Also, if you aren't doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the D. All right, so we're back in the full swing of things. As I've said, I'm back uh, from poker season. Uh, not going to do my poker recap this episode, but I do want to talk poker. This uh, episode is going to be very poker-centric, so let's talk some poker. Let's talk not about my specific um, experience this summer. Uh, we'll save that for a recap episode, but I want to talk about the main event, which is going on right now at the World Series of Poker. Uh, kind of give my perspective on it. And talk about some of the other events, kind of how they relate, and and kind of the understanding of the prestige of certain events, and which events are, in my opinion, maybe more prestigious, less prestigious, and kind of get into that a little bit. So the main event of the World Series of Poker is kind of the big event that everybody talks about, everybody knows, even the casual fans, casual spectators, everybody knows about the main event. Uh, It's widely considered the biggest event of the year in poker and as such kind of has built up this prestige as being the biggest and most prestigious event of the year. The main event typically draws thousands of people. This year I think it was just north of of 8,000 people that entered. Uh, It was the second biggest field of all time uh, for the main event, not in poker history, but of the main event. It has a $10,000 buy-in. Uh, The nice thing about the main event that separates it from a lot of other poker tournaments is that it's a freeze-out. You can't re-enter. So you get one shot at winning the main event, which I think is kind of where a lot of that prestige comes from. Um, They also, on the schedule, they call it their, you know, the No Limit Hole World Championship main event. Basically, you win that, and everybody kind of recognizes you as the world champion of No Limit Hold'em. Not of poker, per se, Um, at least that's where I was going to go with this today, but of no limit hold'em. Uh, and I want to make that distinction very clear in today's episode. I'm not trying to discredit or take away from the main event and the aura of the main event and what it is to win the main event. Um, but kind of put into perspective the overall gamut of poker, of all the poker tournaments, um, especially the world series. If we're going to focus on the world series, um, and understand the prestige of winning, you know, uh, uh, the perspectives of different events and some of the bigger events and the smaller events and how it kind of, and, and give um, all of you um, and some of you that are more casual or amateur players um, a little more insight uh, when you talk about your favorite kind of professionals or pros and why they get excited for certain events over other events. 
um, and why I think maybe certain other events to pros and to more experienced um, players might even hold uh, more prestige uh, in terms of pure poker than winning the main event. The main event has the mainstream draw. It's the one that gets the most media coverage. It has the ESPN deal. It's covered on ESPN, PokerGo, no matter where you go, it's covered. Uh, CBS now this year signed on with the WSOP, which was uh, really interesting. Uh, maybe helped cover some of those guarantees. Um, and I'm happy to see that a lot more sponsorship and money coming into poker is great for poker. Uh, but we can get into that uh, maybe later this episode, maybe in another episode. But great to see um, kind of more mass media coverage and mainstream media coverage uh, overall for poker, and especially at the World Series. The World Series is regarded as kind of the upper echelon of the summer tournaments. This year, there was um, some people had different views on it. They had a lot of lower buy-in events, I think, to celebrate the fact that it was the 50th anniversary. And maybe that's the direction they're going in. Uh, they still have their 15Ks, their or 1500s, their 3Ks, their 5Ks, their 10Ks, um, and their high roller events. But they had a lot more kind of lower buy-in events um, whether that was to compete with other series that were going on, uh, whether it be Famous Goliath, Venetian, Golden Nugget, whatever it is, um, or just to give a chance to the rec player to have a shot at winning at, at some WSOP glory. The counter-argument to it, uh, and this was the big thing, was that it a lot. Uh, some pros and some people, even in the community, felt that, and even people just talking to felt that having a lot of lower buy-in tournaments does discredit and devalue um, the purpose of what it was to win a World Series of Poker bracelet. Um, Pre-modern era, so pre-Chris Moneymaker winning in 2003, the WSOP was kind of the upper echelon of poker tournaments. To win a WSOP bracelet was a big thing. To win the main event, you were really competing, even though it was only a few hundred people in the tournament. It was widely regarded as the top 100 players in the world. Um, don't get me wrong, there have been main event winners in the modern era that have gone on to have a lot of success, uh, win other bracelets. Uh, we can get into that later. Uh, but overall, uh, a lot the, the big th consensus has been that, wait a second, the World Series was never meant to be low buy-in events. It was always meant to be mid to high stake tournament buy-ins to establish where you fit in in the tournament and poker world. I can understand that. I can understand where a lot of bracelet winners are feeling like that. That wait a second. I only, you know, I've been a long established pro. I have one bracelet. Now people buying into four hundred dollar events have a shot at winning a bracelet too, and technically they get put in the same conversation as me. I can understand why certain people have that feel. Like I, I personally am not. Uh, I, I have not won a WSOP bracelet, so I'm not, I wasn't speaking from my perspective. But I was saying what some pros feel about it. And not throwing anybody under the bus, but I understand that perspective. I do get that. There are a lot of tournament series in Las Vegas uh, during that same time that are there to cater to those lower buy-ins, those lower stakes that try to establish bankroll, try to build bankroll, try to see where you fit in in some of these games, in um, you know deeper field events um, before you're buying into $1,500 events. But this year with the new direction it took, the stacks were made a lot deeper. Um, you were started with a lot more starting chips than you typically do at a World Series of Poker event, as well as those lower buy-ins. 
I see both perspectives. I can understand where the 50th anniversary, yes, they're trying to bring in more players. They're trying to celebrate the poker community, trying to expand the poker community. I think the poker community has grown. Um, this year, I, I believe they will have set an attendance record for or participant record for the amount of people playing World Series of Poker events. They had their, um, the big one this year was the Big 50, which had a guaranteed $1 million um, first place prize and a $5 million prize pool. $500 buy-in and your first buy-in was rake-free. So the first $500 from every participant was straight in the prize pool. I think it garnered something like 28,000 entries. I don't know how many of those are unique entrants, but I know it was hard to re-enter. Uh, re and that was a kind of a complaint that a lot of people had was if you busted, getting back in kind of wasn't worth your while because you couldn't, by the time you were getting back in on that day, you were so short stacked, you didn't feel like it was worth your time. And the other side of it was um, other entry flights were already being sold out before that day. Uh, the big one was the last entry flight was actually sold out before the Sunday. Uh, so, I mean, for a lot of players, there's a lot of frustration there. I had heard talk that there was um, initial discussions of capping the amount of entrance per day. And then they decided to just say, you know what, let's open the floodgates and let as many people in as we want to play. I don't think they expected the amount of people they did. Uh, certainly there wasn't the infrastructure for it when you look at everything that had to happen. Um, they were canceling satellites. They were canceling daily deep stacks. Um, again, it's what you want, right? If, if, if satellites are a big thing, yeah, you're disappointed about that. If you want to play the big 50, then you're like, Hey, I get a shot at it. So, I mean, I'm not saying one thing, one decision was better than the other. I'm just saying, this is what I understand to have taken place. And they decided to go with this route for the big 50 and they had a number of entrants. It was a great tournament, great structure, actually. Uh, the only complaint I really had was maybe that people weren't allowed to re-enter. But again, I feel that most poker tournaments, myself, my personal opinion, should be freeze-outs. I truly believe, and I think if the World Series were to continue, maybe a suggestion that I would have for them is if they're going to continue down this road of lower buy-in events, I'm cool with that, but let's maybe make them freeze-outs. Let's maybe say, okay, wait a second. You want to prove yourself on the World Series stage? Fine. But it's still a freeze-out event. So whether you're paying $800, $1,500, $3,000, $10,000, it's a freeze-out. And I think maybe then you'll kind of see that, you know, and maybe you'll see less entrance. I don't know. But I think the overall quality of the tournament will increase as well because you're not going to have people that are dumping, planning to rebuy or playing very aggressively knowing they have a shot at rebuying. Um, I'm just not personally a fan of the re-entry system in poker tournaments. Uh, I don't, I, I always, and I try to, especially when I'm, I'm playing kind of um, bigger stake tournaments, uh, it's not your little daily, you know, two, three hour tournaments, but when you're playing something where it's a series event, whether it be a famous Goliath, Venetian, uh, Binions, Golden Nugget, Orleans, wherever it might be, World Series of Poker, I fire one bullet at it. I, 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 I play my first entry and that's that. I want to measure where my skills are versus the field in that particular game with those particular conditions that day. Now, I, I'm not saying everybody does this, and I'm not saying that everybody's going to do this, but this is my approach to tournaments. This is how I how I choose to measure myself and how I choose to play tournaments. I also find doing that too gives you a little more control over your bankroll management as well as profitability. 
because now all of a sudden those caches are worth more because you're only firing that initial entry. So a min cache is now profitable. A second tier cache is that much more profitable. Third tier, mid caches are that much more profitable when you're only firing that first entry. As you keep firing entry, you have to think of it this way. Some people look at it as, okay, well, if it's a $500 event, I was willing to play a $1,500 event, so I'll fire three bullets at it. Well, here's the problem though. A min cash still might only be 800 bucks. So if you fired 1500 bucks at, you're still down $700. So yeah, you'll get the credit, you know, they'll be, oh yeah, there's another WSOP cash. You'll get it on your, 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 your GPI, all of that. So you look great, but you have to remember that might've still been a losing cash. So for me, at least from when I look at kind of keeping track of my own progress, my own uh, bankroll management, uh, my own tournament success and accomplishments, firing that one unique bullet to me um, at least gives me that chance to kind of measure my success a little more consistently um, and in turn kind of have that more measurable profitability and that's just my opinion and also I think too it, it allows me to really gauge where I felt where I f um, fell in the entire field I knew I took one uh, shot at it and there we go so I would love to see that in more tournaments, especially at the World Series. I'm not saying every series has to do it because they cater to different markets. And at least that was the goal. Um, but maybe again, make it freeze out. But nonetheless, their big event um, for the past few years had been the Colossus. That was the one that was getting over 10,000 people. I think on the first year it got 20 something thousand. Big 50 crushed it with 28,000. I truly believe if they had had a bigger facility or even maybe spread it across a couple of facilities, they could have drastically gotten past um, the 28,000, I think you could have easily seen, um, over 30, probably pushing 40,000 entrants. That's my prediction. Maybe people might think I'm out to lunch on that, but, uh, nonetheless, I think it could have been done. I think you could have had a massive prize pool. I think the tournament could have gone on incredibly long because like I said, it was a very well-structured tournament. It was essentially almost like a mini main event, 50 minute blind levels, uh, 50,000 in starting chips. Uh, I forget if it played nine max or 10 max. I forget that. I know it wasn't, I don't think it was eight. Um, but regardless, it was a good structured tournament. Um, great value. Um, I really applaud the uh, WSOP for throwing that um, event. I think it was great. Um, they also had the other big ones. They still had the crazy eights this year. They still had the Colossus. So, I mean, they had a six max deep stack. They had a lot of great events um at those lower stake buy-ins for a lot of fans that you know might not have typically had the chance to go play wsp events to this year maybe have that chance and as i said moving forward it, it could be great for poker because it's getting people down to vegas it's getting poker season going and you're seeing that kind of trickle effect people forget that as you are seeing a trickle effect of people playing other events you know so those prize pool and other series events so whether you're playing at the nugget or wherever it might be they're also seeing the benefit from that because more players are in town. So even if you're going with friends who are like, oh, I'm going to play this event or I'm going to go play World Series events, you might be like, hey, I'm, I don't want to play World Series events. I might not be at that level, whatever your reasoning might be. But you might go play in other events. And those other events as a player are, are, re, are reaping the benefits. As a, as a host, they're reaping the benefits. So it's great for poker to be bringing people in. And especially considering the World Series kind of does... Um, bear the responsibility of being the face of the summer poker season it's it's great that they've done this and it's great for poker um especially i think 
Um, most people will agree No Limit Hold'em is the most played variant of poker. Um, Pot Limit Omaha is really catching up, and Omaha High Low, I think, might even surpass um, Pot Limit Omaha. I think a lot of people play Pot Limit Omaha, but there's a lot of people out there that are Omaha High Low specialists. I played a couple of Omaha High Low events. I was like, holy smokes. I was blown away um, by how great some of the players are and just how many players there were in some of these fields. I was like, oh my god. And people choosing to miss out on other events to play these games. Um, like, I love PLO. PLO is one of my favorite games. Um, one of my better games, actually. So I really love playing Pot Limit Omaha. More so than I like playing Omaha High Low. Doesn't mean I won't play it. Uh, I just like Pot Limit Omaha a little more. There's a little less to worry about, a little less going on. Um, that high-low thing can get a little tricky at times, so you really have to know what you're doing there. I, I warn all of you. Um, but yeah, they had all that. They catered to a lot of um, people there, and they had an event this year that I really enjoyed. Um, and moving forward, this would be one of those events that I would mark on the calendar as a must-play, is the Mixed No Limit Hold'em, Mixed Pot Limit Omaha. So it's um, half the time it's No Limit Omaha, half it's PLO, and I switched, I think, every eight hands. Then you played it eight max as well. Um, that was a really awesome event. I really loved it because as I've said on Instagram before, there's only so much No Limit Hold'em I can play in a day. So it's really kind of nice. And I've really this summer played a lot more mixed games. Um, so whether it'll just be two game mixes or whatever it was, playing a lot more of that. And I like that mixed game aspect because it forces your brain to reset. So it's great for your brain to be like, okay, we're on the flip here. We have to switch this because we're switching games. And it's also nice too, because it's refreshing. It's nice to be able to switch games and be like, okay, that was enough of that game. Let's play something else. And even if it's a game you don't like that's coming up, at least then, you know, sometimes you you do win pots in those hands. Sometimes it, it just works. Uh, so it's just nice. It's great for your brain to kind of grow and be able to um, challenge yourself in that sense. And also that kind of reset every few hands of, hey, it's a brand new game. So I liked I like playing those mixed um, games uh, myself. Uh, and as you get kind of learn more games, I'm not saying they're for everyone, and some people don't like that. Some people like focusing on one game. And don't get me wrong, if it's the right game, I do like focusing on it. Um, I can sit there and play a Pot Limit Omaha tournament, I believe, for much longer and have uh, much more patience for it than I can No Limit Hold'em. And maybe just from years of playing No Limit and Limit Hold'em that uh, you just kind of get sick of it, I guess, after a while. I don't know. But nonetheless, they had that. But going back to the main event, the main event's going on. They're on to day four today. The money bubble burst yesterday, so about 1,200 and change um, players got paid. A min cash being worth $15,000. Remember, you are putting in 10000 I did talk about that on the last episode of understanding how payouts work. Um, so that the number's bigger, but you are laying out more money to get that number. The percentage hasn't changed. Um... And, but up top this year, I guess for the 50th anniversary, they've uh, allocated 10 grand or 10 million, sorry, $10 million to first place. That's a heck of a first place. I think second place is six something. Third place is just over 3 million or maybe around 3 million. Those are some good paydays. Those are some phenomenal paydays. And it's funny though, when you put that one in front of it, once you get into the million though, you can jump hundreds of thousands, but it doesn't seem as much as when that number in the million column changes. But uh, yeah, those top three paydays are earning, actually all of them at the final table are earning some life-changing amount of money. Um, this is, I can't remember how many years in a row this is, but, they've get, but they um, have started doing this for the last few years. Uh, the November, or the final nine, automatically um, all of them are going to get a million dollars. So it's a million dollars for ninth moving forward. 
Um, I like that aspect of it. I mean, you've had to survive 8,000 people. You've put up 10 grand. I get it, and I like it. And again, it is a freeze-out tournament, and I do understand, and I love the prestige of it because, as I've said, the WSOP has stepped forward and become the face of the summer poker season. They do hold what is widely regarded as the biggest no limit hold'em event, and you are considered the world's, you know, the world champion at it. Whether it makes you the best or not, I don't know. I mean, that is truly up for debate. That really is. Um, because of the variance of players in the field, it's hard to say you're the best. Um, because yeah, in any in individual games where you have only professional players and you're gonna go and sit there, I don't know that you can beat that field. I don't know that the average recreational or amateur player can beat that field. Maybe they can, and maybe this is their stepping stone. And for some main event winners, I also do know that, I mean, sometimes it's a flash in the pan. They win that and that's that. It can happen. Nonetheless, it does not discredit or devalue you winning the main event of the World Series of Poker. And you are... That year, the World Championship at No Limit Hold'em. And why I make that distinction is because I think they uh, they call it the... They stopped... They didn't have that No Limit Hold'em World Champion. They, it was a No Limit Hold'em event, and then they said No Limit Hold'em. 10K No Limit Hold'em World Champion. Um, But it's not the... In my opinion, doesn't necessarily make you the World Champion of Poker. Because I don't necessarily know that every main event winner is good at mixed games. I don't know that they're good at games other than No Limit Hold'em. They very well could be. They absolutely could be. But I don't necessarily know that they are. And it's hard to take claim to be the world champion of poker if you can't play the majority of the games or are good at the majority of the games or at least half of them. I mean, the conventional games. Now you start hearing some of these carnival variations. I hear them at the table. And I, and I really, it, it, it annoys me when you hear these and I use air quote pros talking about, oh, we play this version, we play that, and we play this in our mix. Fuck that. These are the standard games. There's like 22 of them, and that's what we recognize. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about these fun little carnival ones and all of that that they want to add in there that they play at the table and ha ha ha. You know, just more fun. No, it's, it's not. It's shit. Um, I guess it adds some excitement to the game. I don't know, but I'm talking about the conventional ones that are recognized. For instance, if you play the Dealer's Choice event, the World Series, what they consider the the, cho the choice games, those are the games I'm talking about. Um, so not these fun and fancy uh, ones. None of that. No, 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 no. Just those games. That list of games. So whatever appears on the Dealer's Choice, that is your choice. I think there's 22 or something like that. Whatever it is, those are your games. Even eight game mix, things like that. But regardless, it's hard to then say that you're the world champion of poker. So I, I want that distinction to be kind of clear. Again, not devaluing the accomplishment of winning the world the main event of the World Series. But when you start to appreciate poker and have a more advanced understanding of the game and you've been playing a lot longer and i'm sure even you know that the the pros and semi-pros would agree there are some events that are a little more in terms of inside the poker community and as professionals recognize being like this is actually a better standing of where you are in poker um and there's a few i want to talk about 
So the big one is the 50K Poker Players Championship at the World Series of Poker. These are all going to be World Series of Poker events. There's the 50K um, Poker Players Championship, otherwise known as the PPC. There's the 10K Dealer's Choice. There's the 15K Dealer's Choice. There's the 10K 8-game mix, I believe there is. And then there's the 15K 8-game mix. So the 8-game mix is horse with... Deuce to, uh, I believe it's deuce to seven triple draw added, pot limit Omaha, and no limit hold'em. Horse is typically a limit game. Hold'em, Omaha, Raz, stud, and stud eight. For those of you that don't know. So that's now where the eight game mix. The Poker Players Championship was, I, I think it used to be called the 50K eight game mix. It, that's basically what it is, still is, the 50K eight game mix. Um, and it would be triple draw. It would be triple. It's not single. It is triple. Uh, and the only games that are big bet games, as they're called. The big bet games are the ones that are either no limit or pot limit. Um, that's the the only ones that they've added that are big bet um, games are the no limit hold'em and the pot limit Omaha. With that being said, uh, you do have now this, um, you have the eight games. To me, to be able to go through fields, and let's talk about the all those eight game mixes then, and then we'll get into the dealer's choice. To be able to survive those three levels, I guess, I think there's only three eight-game mixes, really sets you apart because you not only have to be good at one game, you have to have a pretty good understanding of the other games and your abilities at the other games as well as your opponent's abilities in those other games. So you can see, like, I think it was Phil Helmuth one year actually had a... Um, runner-up in the poker players championship when he is notoriously not necessarily good at all of the games but as he said he knew in the games that he was strongest in he was the str he felt he was the strongest and if he could avoid getting himself into trouble in his weaker games he'd have a real shot at winning and he proved it I think it was Brian Rast that ended up beating him heads up. And I think that year he actually, they had a great heads up battle. I think Rast had a huge lead going to the heads up. And Helmuth actually was able to gain some ground. Um, lest we forget, Helmuth just won another No Limit Hold'em bracelet last year. Um, he does have 15. And that goes to show you, right? So it's that, uh, it's that kind of almost triple understanding that you need to have at minimum. Plus, you actually can't just be good at one of the games. You need to be good at a few of the games. If not as many as five or eight of them. If you can be decently good at eight of the games and put yourself to be winning in that, in that stage and at those stakes, I mean, it's pretty hard to not argue that you might very well be the overall best tournament poker player at that time. Uh, Michael Griner Mizraki has won three poker players championships. There's a couple of people that have won two. I think it's Brian Rast has won two and Johnny World Hennigan, I believe, has also won two. Uh, Phil Ivey has a bunch of caches in it. He was the chip leader for, I think it was going into day four this year. So four of the days he was the chip leader and then uh, it completely fell apart for him on that day. It was very sad to watch. Uh, and I think there was kind of all of us were rooting in a way for Phil Ivey because... Um, it's been so long since he has won a bracelet. Um, there's been some other things outside of poker, um, a lot of talk about him, and people thinking that maybe the best days of his career are done. So it was nice to see him have another good run. Um, it was disappointing to see him get eliminated within an hour at the main event, but that happens. Um, just because you're the best player, again, 
The best No Limit Hold'em player in the world doesn't necessarily win the main event, but winning the main event is the biggest accomplishment, in my opinion, um, in No Limit Hold'em. Uh, it doesn't devalue that. Uh, it's, as I said, it's the biggest accomplishment, but is not, not necessarily the greatest measure of your No Limit Hold'em abilities. But, still the biggest accomplishment. In terms of, as I said, pure poker, I have to rate the PPC up there. I think the Poker Players Championship, to me, because it is garnering the best of the best. You are laying out 50k. So, whether people have backers or whatever, these are pretty established professionals. Yeah, you get a couple of guys in there that are just rich as heck. But, fuck it. It is still, for the most part, professional players. These are guys that play these games, have a great understanding of the games, and are playing these games at, at higher stakes than most people. And I think as such, because of the overall knowledge and, and capabilities and talent and skill needed, to me, poker-wise, the most... The, the, the most... I guess... Yeah, for me, the most prestigious in terms of pure poker or the most kind of, yeah, I guess prestige would be the best word, is the Poker Players Championship. And I do have to give that an edge to, in my opinion, over the main event because, as I've said, the amount of game knowledge you need to have over a whole bunch of games. You can't just navigate a no limit hold'em field you can't just know the fold charts the call charts the shove charts of no limit hold'em and hope that that's going to be enough there's so much skill that needs to happen um constantly at that level against that level of player that i mean it is um a very prestigious win i think it was phil huey was the guy who won it this year, um, who I actually played with um, in an event. I played uh, the Deuce to Seven uh, Triple Draw. He was at my table uh, that day. I don't know if he fired uh, a second bullet or not, but he was at my table um, initially there, and then went on to win the PPC. So, I mean, it's kind of cool when you see this. And at the World Series, it's neat, because you do get a who's who of players. As you kind of get away from No Limit Hold'em, you kind of are playing against the best of the best. And there is a chance that, yeah, these name-brand well-recognized, highly skilled players will be at your table and they will make your day hell and they are good. You don't get those results without being good and I don't want that ever to be discredited. Um, at that level of poker, there is a certain amount of skill that is required to be to rise above the rest and win the bracelets. And to me, that's maybe why I, I, I find there's almost more value and prestige in winning a non-hold'em bracelet over a hold'em bracelet in terms of the skill required because of the fields you're going to be competing against. With that being said, because of the modern era, those fields that are playing no limit hold'em events typically are the biggest. So therefore, you I mean, there's arguments both ways. And I can understand and I totally accept both views on that. I'm just saying for me personally, I am of the opinion that I do think that no limit that non-hold'em bracelets to me, because of the skill level required to play those other games and the types of players that are going to be playing those other events, to me, it, it still means it means a little more because at a certain point, my counter is that Hold'em events kind of become a matter, A, there's it, it does have the biggest variance of all the games. There's no doubting that. Um, it does have the biggest variance in terms of skill, players, statistics, cards, everything. It's also heavily about navigation. 
And in my opinion, I think just these based on those criteria, that's why I give the other ones events. However, that main event is still right up there to me in terms of overall prestige and overall glory of winning. I think prestige glory is probably the best word to use there. It is the most um, gloried event to win of the year. After you get past those eight game mixes, you have the dealer's choice events. Now what dealer's choice is, is the person on the button picks the game. And they can pick any one of the list of games that they have. They have little plaques for all of them. A lot of strategy and thought goes into so much of that. Because there's so many moving parts and variables to every decision being made. Also, you need to have a certain proficiency in all the games because you... I mean, you might only get the chance to pick your strongest game once per round, and it might not even be in your best interest to pick your strongest game when it becomes your turn. So again, like the eight-game mix, but almost to a greater degree now, your understanding and abilities in a wider variety of games is also on display and also has to be tuned into. And I mean, there's ways of, again, you can use game choice to put players in tough spots. I think it was Daniel Ryan a couple of years ago kept saying, yeah, they're going to pick Bedusi and Bedesi and get me eliminated. And I think that's what they ended up doing until he was eliminated. Because they were like, we're not going to give him a chance to play at games he has an advantage over us. And, and I mean, it is it is a tournament. That's part of it. Picking the right fucking game that's going to give you a chance to see. Don't pick games that are going to put, give other people an advantage. Pick the fucking game that's going to give you the best advantage. Period. And I like that they do that. I don't know... I'm not sure how many other places do a dealer's choice. Um, and again, this goes to speak to the quality of the staff. And I don't think the staff get thanked enough and the dealers get thanked enough at the World Series. The dealers have to have a certain proficiency in being able to deal and understanding the mechanics of certain games. Um, I mean, in for instance, in Stud, Stud 8, Raz, where, the, where position changes as the streets, as you move along the streets. That becomes very interesting in itself. So you have to be cognizant of that, that the button isn't as important as, you know, what the cards are actually showing. So just knowing that, knowing how to calculate the pot in pot limit games, all of these things um, are very important. Understanding how the games work, what the hand seat, um, rankings are, all of these things, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge to be able to deal dealer's choice. So I don't know how many places actually offer other than the World Series, but in terms of that, I really give the World Series a lot of credit. I think we do owe them a huge thank you uh, for everything uh, that they do in terms of recruiting staff and being able to keep and maintain staff and finding the staff to allow, to run these events. That's the other side of it is finding the staff to run these events. Um, so that's a big thing. And so these dealer's choice events end up being a great way, uh, or I mean, have so much involved that in terms of that, even, I think there has to be a lot of credit given to being able to navigate those fields and that level of skill and those kind of players. So, I mean, even there too, again, the 10K dealer's choice I kind of have to rank that up there as well. That might even take over, you know? So again, the main event is, is still the most glorious thing and, and the biggest accomplishment in po that we have in poker right now in terms of what you have to do to win it. But again, I don't know if it's the most procedure, most uh, one they have. And I just, I, I, I lay this out there as food for thought when you, th just for everybody to think about poker in that grand scheme is that, what is the more important thing? And I'm 
And as I said, this is just food for thought, but which one is more important? I'd love to hear back from you guys. And I, you know what? And I can see both sides of it. I can see how, yes, you know what? The main event is everybody plays No Limit Hold'em. You have to navigate that field. You're putting out 10K. It's incredibly deep stacked, slow moving. So you really have to be sharp. You have to stay focused. It's going to be a grind. It's over a week to win it. I get all of that. And I can understand how that, yes, that does make it the biggest event of the year and the most important one to win. Again, I understand from a holistic poker perspective of, I think there are some prestigious mixed games. And I think with the skill and what's required to win those mixed game at those high stakes, to me, I think that gives it a little bit more prestige, in my opinion, in terms of bragging rights over winning a main event. But again... That's just my opinion, um, and, I, and I'm glad that you guys are willing to listen to it, and I hope uh, I've given you guys some food for thought here on that, because to me, yeah, it, it is something worth thinking about. But yes, those mixed games, it's, it's tough because, again, even at the dealer's choice level, as I was just saying, I don't know how many places offer it, right? So that's the other side of it, uh, is, is you have to have the qualified dealers that, that can do that, and, you know, as I said, give credit to the World Series for making sure that they have the staff in place uh, to be able to offer those events. And for all of you mixed game players out there, uh, you know, that is the great thing. And I think Daniel Negreanu a few years ago had said this on his vlogs. Uh, the thing he gets most excited about with the World Series isn't the No Limit Hold'em part. It's the fact that now you get to have these tournaments in these other games. Um, and I'm along that same line about poker season. It's like, you know, I was telling Jess this. I can play No Limit Hold'em any time of the year I want. But the really cool thing about poker season is that I get to play tournaments in the other games that I like more. Or that I want to play more, that I'm interested in playing. Uh, so that's kind of the really cool thing about the poker season as a whole. But nonetheless, uh, sticking to the point there, I think there's just there's a little more debate to be had than just meets the eye of, oh, it's the main event, it's the biggest one. I don't know that. I just don't know. I think it still is the biggest No Limit Hold'em event. I think you are the world champion in No Limit Hold'em. Um, and, and so I just credit to players winning the, the high roller events. You know, it, it really isn't because, I mean, again, you're playing a field of qualified, you know, top top end players. Justin Bonomo winning the million dollar one drop last year. I mean, that's a million dollars that either he came out with or he sold action, whatever it was. A million dollars was still put forward in his name, and he still came out on top. Um, you know, Antonio Sviandiari, it made his career winning the first ever million dollar uh, big one for one drop. So it, that's a life-changing accomplishment in itself. So when you think about that, um, there's a lot more to just what the rankings of each event are. And as I said, it just it's, it's some food for thought. Uh, and even in terms of No Limit Hold'em, in terms of measure of ability... I did say, I don't know that it is the biggest. I still very much think in terms of World Series events, the 10K heads up is very much, um, in a way, the uh, the tougher uh, event. And I think is a bigger measure and a better at the time measure of a player's no limit hold'em abilities than the main event. Things can go right in the main event. It's like golf versus tennis. I've always, I've had this debate with many of my friends. Which sport do I, they think is harder? Do I think do we think is harder to be the best at? And consensus usually ends up being tennis because you can win golf tournaments shooting a plus one. 
if you play the equivalent of shooting a plus one in tennis, you go home. And I think that's the thing. In in heads up, no limit hold'em, or heads up any of the games, you have to be better than the person sitting at the table with you. You can't survive it to move on. You can't survive and get into the money. You need to be better and you need to be the best at that time at the task presented. And I think that's why the No Limit Hold'em Heads Up bracelet to me is one I hold very high up um, personally because I've played so much Heads Up in my life. That's why I played the 10K Heads Up. Uh, and that's why I always have so much respect for the players that can that end up winning that event or have consistent success in it. Um, there's that guy, John Smith, who was back to, who, who runnered up back to back years, uh, you know, and it goes to show how tough of an event it is to win. Adrian Mateos won it two years ago. So not last year, but the year before. And in the years since, I don't think he's made it out of the first round. You know, it just goes to show how difficult an event is. And even some of what people are regarded as the best heads up players in the world haven't won that bracelet. Olivier Bousquet. His heads-up credentials are phenomenal. But he's never won that bracelet. Again, Justin Bonimo was on the heater of his life and uh, seemed almost invincible at the uh, high-stakes level. He went on to win it. It was funny because I was FaceTiming with Jess last summer and she was like, who do you think is going to win? I said, well, if I don't win it, uh, I think Justin Bonimo is the favorite. I said, it's hard. And she was like, I said, yeah, the guy's won already like $18 million on the year. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even June yet. And I said, I think, I think Justin Bonomo, I think it has to be Bonomo is the favorite. And she was like, well, I said, yeah, I bet people that Bonomo is going to win it. And what do you know? Fucking Bonomo went on to win it. You know? So, I mean, it just goes to show. And I mean, even I have a lot of respect for players that win bracelets across a number of events. Uh, uh, Scott Seaver, third bracelet this year has won them in three different events. No limit hold'em, limit hold'em and Raz this year. Um, and as I was saying about main event winners, yeah, there are some that are flash in the pans. There are some that, you know, they use it to have whatever, a decent amateur, semi-pro playing high circuit event, whatever it might be. And some players use it as a propeller to onto actual professional pokerism and be or pokerism. Uh poker playing and playing those bigger stake tournaments and being able to bankroll it. A guy like Joe Cata won the main event, has won three bracelets since, won two bracelets last summer, including a final table at the main event. Uh, you know, that goes and speaks for itself. Uh, what's his name? Joe McKeon won the No Limit Hold'em heads up, uh, not heads up, won the main event, and then went on and has won the 10K Limit Hold'em. Greg Merson, I believe his, now, his, even though he's a multi-bracelet winner, um, which, I mean, he gets the credit for, his was actually unique because he won back-to-back. Like, back-to-back events, he won the bracelets in. One was the 10K Six Max, and one that was the main event. He won them both back-to-back in that same year, which was really cool and a hell of an accomplishment. Um, but yeah, I think out of, in the modern era, the most accomplished main event winner would have to be Kata with his four, uh, followed by Jonathan Duhamel, who has won three bracelets, again, all in No Limit Hold'em. So it's just an interesting thing. Now, I don't know about this year, but I had looked up Jonathan Duhamel, and he has a very interesting uh, track record at the World Series. Uh, I was telling uh, Token Tony this, uh, from the Vegas Squares podcast, if I'm not mistaken, every year in which Jonathan Duhamel has a World Series of Poker cash, he actually always has multiple caches, uh, which might not seem like much, but that's actually so he doesn't have a cash every year at the main at the World Series, 
But every year in which he does have a cash, he at least gets a second cash, has multiple caches. So that's kind of an interesting thing, a little tidbit there. But nonetheless, that's just a, a little Jeopardy fact, I guess, for you. Nonetheless, uh, the main event is going on right now. There's a lot of big names still left in the field. Uh, it's anybody's game right now. And the thing that people, um, that uh, is not just me as a poker player, but as a poker fan and just a lover of poker and, you know, almost like a poker historian, almost like a poker professor in a way, pardon me, in a way, uh, poker educator and uh, that I want to share with you guys is um, the coolest thing about the main event is any given day success from to this point doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a predictor of success moving forward for the rest of the days uh so i think that's why you've seen a, a new chip leader emerge every day uh now there have been some people that have emerged with with consistently big stacks don't get me wrong that's what you kind of need to do and want to do you do need to be constantly moving forward with your stack and building it and growing it but don't necessarily get married to the okay well this person's in first they're going to run the whole thing now. Doesn't necessarily go that way. And and doesn't necessarily mean just because you're chip leader even at the final table, you're winning the main event. Uh, so keep that in mind. I believe it was the year that Peter Eastgate won. He was not the chip leader. I think he might have even been fourth or fifth in chips. I believe it was David Peters. Not the younger David Peters, but an older David Peters. Um, who was the chip leader. And uh, there was... I, I mean, famously, again, it fell apart for him. But... Uh, nonetheless, uh, just keep that in mind. I think even Phil Helmuth in 89, when he won the main event, wasn't even the chip leader. Uh, I think Johnny Chan might've been going into that final table, uh, as the, um, chip leader. And just the significance of winning the main event in terms of mainstream and the broader poker community. I think that's to me, um, where it keeps its prestige and why it's held so high and why it should be held so high. Um, and maybe why it is the most important event of the year to win. Um, because when you really think about it, it is the one that everybody's talking about. It's what gets the conversation started. It's also been what has been historically the most important events ever in poker have happened at the World Series of Poker. Stu Unger winning three main events over two decades. Lee winning, I think it was 80 and 81, and then coming back and winning in like 94, whatever it was, or 97, 95, whatever it was, mid-90s there. Incredible. Ferguson winning in 2000. Um, I think Ferguson was the first person to win over a million dollars in the main event, right? So these little historical things. Phil Hellmuth, you know, when we talk about the significance of achievements and main event winners, when you really think about this one, and this is some food for thought I'm going to leave you guys with, a lot of people credit the Chris Moneymaker win as being the catalyst to the modern era of poker. And it did. It did draw in the amateur. It did now bring in the amateur, more amateurs and more recreational players into the main event, into the World Series of Poker. It did cause the, po it was one of the bigger catalysts to the poker boom. However, in the grand scheme of poker history, I don't know that it was the single most important main event win of all time. And I've long argued that there might be some other wins that are a little more important. People forget that the Chris Moneymaker thing may not have happened, firstly. Uh, secondly, had he have lost, the person who came runner up to him was Sammy Farha, 
who's a well-known poker pro, has been around for a while. I think he'd already won a couple of bracelets before that main event, and he was the runner-up. If Sammy Farha wins that main event, the discussion could be very different. Do we still have the poker boom? I don't know. I really don't know. I think we have a very different discussion. I think the discussion then becomes not that anybody can win the main event, but that anybody can come second. The following year, Greg Raymer winning it. David Williams was the runner-up. David Williams is a well-established poker pro. He's won a bracelet on his own. If David Williams wins, it's a pro winning it. Again, the same kind of thing. In 2006 it, or 2005, it was Joe Hatcham. Forget who Joe Hatcham beat heads up. Was it Eric Lindgren, maybe? I don't know. And I was in 2006, when Jamie Gold won it, pretty sure it was Paul Wastica that won it. A well-established pro. I think he was Card Player Magazine's Player of the Year a couple of years. He was, I think, a WPT Player of the Year. He went on to win his own bracelets. Or at least bracelet. He won the NBC Heads Up. 25k buy-in Heads Up tournament. Well-established pro. Probably at the time had more individual poker success in terms of tournament wins and, and, and higher state tournament wins than Jamie Goldman. Probably anybody at that point that had won the main event of that modern era. So it's amazing how... So when you think about how these things play out, I don't know. I think... Because it was Moneymaker that won, and because he beat Sammy Farha, and because he beat an established pro, yes, it did create the catalyst. But does it get devalued if the very next year it's David Williams that wins it? And it's like, okay, it's back to the pros winning it. I don't know. But the one I'm going to leave you with is this. The 1989 main event. Bill Helmuth won his first, w, uh, his first main event and only, at the time became the youngest main event winner at 24 years old, which was unheard of. I don't think there had been a winner that young. Um, maybe Stu Unger, Stewie when he won it, I forget. But I think even Stewie when he won it might have been in his 30s or close to it. But Phil Hummett was the youngest winner. Not only that, he beat the seemingly invincible Johnny freaking Chan. Johnny Chan was two-time defending champion and imagine that you're two-time defending champion and then the way you eventually not win is by be still being the fucking runner-up. And this was just one year removed after he schooled Eric Seidel uh, to win the main event. And Eric Seidel went on to have a great career. Eric Seidel has had a better tournament in terms of live tournament winnings, has had more live tournament winnings than both Seidel and uh, both Chan and Helmuth. He hasn't won as many bracelets as either of them, but in terms of consistency and win and tournament winnings, has eclipsed both of them. So, and Eric Seidel, I mean, he openly credits losing to Johnny Chan as being one of the greatest learning experiences of his poker career. So if you put that into perspective, Phil Helmuth doesn't win that 89 main event. And Johnny Chan wins a third straight main event. The conversation now becomes, when does the Johnny Chan era end? Because one of the things about being about having success is being successful. And that confidence and aura of invincibility you gain from winning. When Tiger Woods was at the peak of his golf career, 
Part of his wins was psychological. His opponents had to make up strokes and they would hear the crowd cheering behind them at the previous hole. They're like, fuck, there's Tiger. He just made a birdie. So now they're having to play more aggressive and they're making mistakes and they're falling apart and Tiger's coasting along and winning. He, I don't know if he's, if Tiger still has that effect. I mean, he has to be taken seriously. He did just win the Masters this year. But during that time, Tiger was hard to beat. I think we may have forgotten just how difficult it was to beat Tiger Woods. Roger Federer won, I think it was five straight U.S. Opens. Funny enough, I don't think he's actually, ever since he lost to Juan Martin Del Potro in, 20, in 2009, I think was the main event, was the one he lost, the U.S. Open he lost to Juan Martin Del Potro. He hasn't appeared in a U.S. Open final since. So he wins like five straight, runner-up. So that would be 10 years going if this year that he wouldn't have appeared in the U.S. Open final. But during those five years, I mean, how many times do you think opponents caved? Because he was winning. All of them. Five straight years as champion. It's hard to overcome that, and that's what made the Delpo victory so incredible. Here's this young Argentinian guy who could easily have been the cover model on GQ or anything else. Fucking comes along and beats the great Roger Federer. And one individual loss does not now dictate, oh, he's he's beatable, but fuck is that an accomplishment to be a long-standing champion? And I mean, if Johnny Chan goes on to beat Phil Helmuth in 1989... And his three times, in poker especially, back then, how fucking tough do you think it becomes to beat him in 1990? And if Phil Helmuth doesn't win, does Phil Helmuth still have the confidence? Does a runner-up finish still lead way to what Phil Helmuth goes on to accomplish now in his career, 15 bracelets? Or are we rewriting poker history there? It's funny I say that because I don't know that in the grand scheme of large, uh, of multi-time bracelet winners, when you look at them, the moneymaker effect may have had something. To, I don't know. Do I think guys like John Hennigan, Daniel Negreanu still get to six bracelets? Yep. Do I think a guy like Jason Mercer probably gets to five? Yep. Do I think a guy like Michael Mc, uh, the Grinder Mizraki? Yep. I think a guy like Joe Cata gets four. I don't know. Did Or was it seeing a 24-year-old Phil Helmuth win it that propelled a Joe Cata to go on and do it? I mean, Joe Cata was going to, you know, probably made this up. I'm going to be a professional poker player. This is what I want to do. I'm going to try and win the main event here, but I'm going to do this. So I don't know. But I want to leave that with you, uh, with all of you today, as just give it some thought. Which main event victory was the most significant in poker history? Was it the moneymaker one and its impact? Or was it the Helmuth one? And maybe uh, in a couple of episodes, once I've heard back from you guys, uh, make sure to reach out on Instagram at the dude Sunny D. We can figure that out. We can debate it. We can go through an episode debating the historical significance of many of the poker victories in the main event. And maybe that is why, in the grand scheme of it all, 
the main event still stands proud as the most important tournament of the year. Anyway, I encourage all of you to tune in to watch the main event. Uh, I thank the WSOP again for throwing a hell of a tournament series this year. Um, really, I mean, I don't envy what they have to do to put that on. And again, first class, first rate. Thank you guys again. And I thank all of you again so much for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit podcast. I've really had fun doing this episode. You're talking about poker. As you guys know, I love poker. So I hope I've shared some knowledge with you guys. Anyway, I thank you all so much for tuning in this episode. Again, big shout out to our friends of the podcast. We've got the Vegas Squares podcast. we got Skin Dimensions, Tattoo, and Piercing. We've got uh, Zero Gravity Games down in Fayetteville, Georgia, and up here in Winnipeg. Just like Skin Dimensions, we've got Selfix Doctors. I thank you all so much for tuning in this episode. Take care and bye bye for now. Oh, I guess that was a that was a pump fake on the ending there. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Remember, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the Dude Sunny D. Once again, that's at the Dude Sunny D on both Twitter and Instagram. Take care and bye bye for now.